Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-host S with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How are you feeling? I'm doing great. great. I'm doing great. I'm having like a an older lady. Don't know, like you. I've I've had a conversation with you, but I don't remember it fully. Welcome to forty. Um, which is a statement I make all the time. Now, <laughs> in the last episode, I talked to you about um, a hockey game. Sure. And then I know in a Patreon episode after that, I mentioned the second game. Sure. In the second game, did I mention the pants? I don't think so. Fuck, it was the best part. I thought of it after and I was like, it was the it was the hook. It was the best part of that fucking story. Um oh God. I I'm gonna be brief just because I feel like you will find the magic in it that sure. my husband did not. Okay. Because you'll be like, oh my God. So no I ordered some Philadelphia Flyers pajama pants. It's covered in the logo and gritty. Just like all the, all over the place. It's great. So that first Pittsburgh game was coming up and I was like, I'm going to put on those pants as like in a magical way of like getting the right energy out. And then they, and then they won. Then they played that second game and I had completely forgotten about the pants because if I don't see something in that moment, it's gone. My brain is done. So I completely forgot about the pants and the game ends in regular time with a tie so we have to go into overtime and it's about halfway through overtime it's only like five minutes but it's about halfway through that all of a sudden my brain goes oh my god that's why they're not that's why they haven't won yet because you aren't wearing the pants keep in mind 
they wore the pants. I've worn the pants once and they won once. So in my brain is like, that's, that's what's going to help. Right. So I was like, oh my God. But we were like about, I was like, it could happen at any second. So I run, run to my bedroom from the living room. I grab the pants. There's no time. I go running back to the living room because I need to make sure these are on. I drop trowel in the <laughs> middle of my living room, put these pants on. I'm pulling them up as they do a face-off, drop the puck. In that moment is when they fucking scored. In that next play, they scored the second those pants were on my body. I, I screamed and kept going, it's the pants, it's the pants. And then I wore a, the pants again for the third game, or the next game after that, they won again. So what I'm hearing is you're never washing these pants again and they're going to be in tatters by the end of the season. Yes, that is my goal. That is my goal. Um, I did comment to my husband. I was like, oh, I can't wash them. But I'm, I wear them for the game and then I take them off. You know, let them have some air time. <laughs> Just so I'm not like wearing them constantly, sleeping in them, slopping on them, that sort of thing. I'm just, just for game time. So I feel like that's acceptable. But it was the, it was the timing of I pulled them up. They dropped the puck. They did a couple of moves. Bam. And they scored. And I just, it's the pants. The first time they they lose while I wear those pants, I will wash the pants because then right. the magic is gone and I'll have to redo it. But um, well, for your sake, this, I hope those pants never get washed. Thank you so much. I Listen, wasn't like I. This is my level of of cuckoo where I'm I'm like I I I believe I'm doing something. I have crystals around the house and read tarot cards like yeah you came to the right place these who's to say crystals who's to say it wasn't the pants we don't know that's why magic is magical because we don't know and isn't it nicer to think that something magical happened than that something didn't yes a hundred percent yes yes i want to believe in magic do you believe in magic? <laughs> Thank you so much. I want so to believe I. that there is something in the universe that's like, she took the effort to seek out pajama pants for it. Let the lady have a win. Yes. I couldn't have been happier. Yeah. Um, I think, bottom line... I think Apple it's nicer. Jeans. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yep. I think it's nicer to believe that we have some sort of effect on other things yeah. that maybe you're manifesting. Who knows? Again, what's the sure. alternative? To me, the alternative is going no magic exists and everything is gray. I mean, that is a way to live. I know a lot of people live that way. I sure. refuse to. I just I refuse you. to. Yeah. yeah. It's the same reason why. When people are like, they want to know a magician's tricks, I don't. Oh. I don't. I don't sure. want anyone to explain it to me. When people are like, it's a simple trick, I'm like, you know what else is simple? Shutting your yap. I don't want to hear about how close-up magic is done. I don't want to hear about any of it. I want to <laughs> sit and be dazzled and clap like a little child <laughs> and have a nice time. 
So not so much the pen and teller for you. Do they explain it? That's their whole bit. They do the trick and then they do the trick again and show you exactly how they, like, how they actually pulled it off. That's their whole bit. Those sons of bitches. (laughs) (laughs) I'm into the wine if you haven't noticed. I don't think anybody has ever said that. At at the very very least about Teller, because... Isn't he the, sh- the the small one that doesn't talk? Oh, you think that makes him less culpable? He's a player. <laughs> He's a player in the game. He's culpable for that kind of destruction. Look, what I'm learning is I brought my magic talk to the right place. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I yeah, you I did. Because you know what? We don't want to know. We don't want to know if what if your pants no. did. The, we're going to believe that they did because that's yeah. a nice fun thing in a world that is in shambles a world that is burning there's nothing but horrors you know what's nice to think about that you have fucking magic pants okay (laughs) sisterhood of the magical hockey pants yeah it's my it's the dream beauty not to be confused feel like i'm actually like like my support is actually doing something for them exactly while they're out there. Not to be confused with actual hockey pants, which smell like death. Well, that's the thing. I know that a lot of athletes have a thing where it's like they won't wash something like a jock strap or a specific clothing. They won't wash it if they're on a winning streak. I feel like mine is different because, again, barely wearing them. I don't, I'm not in them enough to get like, Juices, you know, I don't know what. The- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not We're eight minutes in, like and this is taking turns. Soil. I'm not even enough to soil them. Yeah, sure. A marinade. Yeah, if I was like lounging in them for like a full day, or sleeping in them overnight, or something, then I'd be like, okay, you're out of control. You need to wash them at some point. But for yeah. now. When I can smell them outside the room. Yep, then we're talking. Then it's like, then it's time. It's time. But for now, it's like, I've barely broken them in. Yeah. If they were jeans, <laughs> jeans, uh, if they were jeans, they wouldn't stand, like, they wouldn't stand up by themselves if I let them go. Like, they're not that far gone. Right. They're not stiff. Correct. And thank you. For that stuff. I like that a lot. Thank you. (sighs) I just want to believe. We all do. Right? We all do. We all want to believe in something. And I just want to believe that this is it. This is what's going to do it. To that, I would just offer that like. I don't know, if you're applying that kind of logic to things like magic and sports teams winning, then maybe just think about the aliens, you know? (laughs) Okay, look, I feel like at some point, I think it's just become, I'm like, aliens are for her. I'll let her take the alien thing. I'll take the, I'll, I'll, you know, be devil's advocate on it. I don't know what, the reverse is for that. Like, I don't know what my thing is that you're like, no, because you're just always so on board. Exactly. That's just who you are. <laughs> that show. 
Like I could call you tomorrow and yeah. be like, hey, here's the thing. I got some deals on some flights. So I've purchased a series of flights where you and I are going to travel around after the hockey team that I love and go to 20 different games in a row. And you'd be like, I will pack. When are we leaving? Yeah. There'd be no question of like, no. this is ridiculous. What are you doing? Have you thought this through? It would just be like, okay, I'm ready to go. Yep. Because that's just what you do. That's what I bring to the table. It is. Yeah. And I think it's lovely. Thank you. What I also bring into the table is a hard pressure to believe in aliens. But you know what? That's just because I come about it honestly. <laughs> we can't keep saying, you just said this, the phrase, I want to believe so many times that it's just impossible yes. for me not to then say. To make the leap. Just yeah. take a take a sec. Take a sec. The next time you're thinking about your magical pants and your team <laughs> scoring, you're getting your yayas out. Maybe just mm -hmm. take it. Mm -hmm. Will someone please think of the aliens? <laughs> okay. Look. I, if I psychologist hat myself, is it possible that I grew up with so many like uh, movies, TV, that sort of thing that made the idea of aliens terrifying that I've convinced myself that I'm like, I, they can't be real because that scares me and I'm yeah. afraid of the unknown. Of course, that's probably it. That's the only reason I would hard push back on something is if I was terrified. And just like that, I got my wish. <laughs> yeah. This isn't about aliens. This is about making you make connections. This is about self, self-actualization. This is about your journey. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're getting there. <laughs> this is why I often say um, that I'm going to a therapy appointment when I'm really just coming to record the show. <laughs> It's pretty close. And that's an honor. It's pretty close. And that's an honor. Yeah, I think for, you know, what do they say? 10,000 hours? Yeah. Makes an expert? Sure. God, how many hours of therapy have I been through at this point? Let's think ballpark. Let me do some quick math over here. Oh, Let's I see. All right. love that math is coming in. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Because not only are you whimsical... Smart as hell. Well, this number's a lot lower than I was hoping. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. 10,000 hours I'm realizing over 10 years would be 1,000 sure. hours a year. Sure. Which would be 100 hours a month-ish. I have not spent 100 hours a month on therapy. I'll be honest. Sure. But, you know, I've spent a chunk. Yeah. I mean, how a thousand hours? Good Lord. I guess I'm what I'm learning now is that <laughs> always a student. You know what I mean? <laughs> always a student. And just like that, you found a positive way uh, to spin it. Yeah. There's no mistakes, only opportunities. Hey. Oh, God. But if you think about it, so <sighs> 10,000 hours. And yeah. Over the course of 10 years, a thousand hours a year? I mean, that's a lot, isn't it? Yes. How many hours are in a year? Do they do years? Or do they say that in that song from Rent? 
25,600 minutes. Yeah. Um, oh, no, that's not right. 365 times 24. There it is. Okay. That means there's there's 8,760 hours in a year. Wow. Yeah. So even if you spent every waking minute, well, not even every making minute, every possible minute in a year doing something, you're not an expert yet. Wow. Yeah. I mean, according to this one school of thought, that's the other thing. Of too, right? course. You know, we're not we're not we're not saying it's definitive. I mean I, I, I love that I'm like, well now, because they've they've in my mind, now that they've turned you down for being an expert about therapy because you haven't done ten thousand hours, now I'm like, well, I'm I immediately pivot. And I'm on your side, and I'm backing you up. And I'm like, to the 10,000 hours, people, I've been a parent for more than 10,000 hours. And I'm going to go so far as to say, absolutely not an expert, because I don't believe that anybody is an expert at parenting, because every single child is so completely different from another that it's it's impossible. Oh, Oh, absolutely. So... Maybe not 10,000. Yeah. Maybe it depends on the task. 10,000 also feels like something they absolutely pulled out of their ass. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell, wasn't it? I have no idea who that is. (laughs) (laughs) Should I know who that is? Oh, I don't think you need to. He's an author. Canadian. Mm. Huh. But doesn't Um, write smutty, huh? (laughs) <laughs> that's how I that's why I wouldn't know. No, Malcolm Gladwell does not write fairy smut. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, well, then I'm a lot less interested. I've <laughs> though I would be interested to read a book uh in his style uh of, of fairy smut. That does sound nice. Um sure. is he no, he's more like uh self development and stuff. Mm. It is his thing, yes. Uh, the key to do the key to achieving true expertise in any skill is simply a matter of practicing, albeit in the correct way, for at least ten thousand hours. So not even like. So then it's even longer. Yeah, if you have to practice it in the correct way, and it's like, but how long does it take you to learn the correct way? In certain things. So you can't add in the extra stuff that's like I, while you're learning how to do it properly. This says, simply put, the rule suggests that to master a skill, an individual needs to practice it for 10,000 hours. Gladwell argues that, like hockey, success in computing requires both skill and luck rather than pure, simple, natural ability. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's probably one of those, I haven't read his book, to be honest, um, I think it's probably one of those ideologies of like skill plus opportunity. Sure. That there's probably many people on the planet that could possess a skill that may never be presented with the opportunity. So, sure. you know, one of those kinds of things. But it's interesting that this quote was about hockey. And to that I say, this is proof the magic pants are real. 
Yep. Don't come for me, folks. It's it's also, I I thought they wouldn't have magic while they're not in use, because I thought they needed to charge up. (laughs) Which is why I Well, if you want to charge them like crystals, leave them out in the moonlight. Put them in the moonlight. Yeah. Fuck, you're right. I mean, they would get a bit of moonlight from where they are, but not enough. Yeah. Oh, God. It's also the fact that right now, I can hear somebody playing basketball in the level below me. It is late. Yeah. There should not be a child awake playing basketball in my basement. Mm. Especially when one of those kids... Stayed home from school today sick. Okay, now we're getting into the grift. Got it, got it, got it. The thing is, it was legit. It felt legit. It's just, it's one of those classic, like, when you have a a large day planned of many things to get done, there's going to be that one bogey, and that bogey, I'd make the crappy joke that it was a boogie, but no, it wasn't anything snot-related. Um... Oh, God. But that's the thing. To anybody that's like, I'm I'm on the fence about having kids. I don't know if I should or not. To you, I say, plan out a day for yourself. Think of, and then while you're in, enjoy, either enjoying this day or doing work or doing some sort of thing where you're very busy, just make sure the day is very compact, like filled with things and you're very busy. Partway through the day, stop and think to yourself, if I had a child, I wouldn't probably be doing this right now. Not to say I regret my children, I don't, but they're a real roll of the, of the dice. And just like that, seems mm-hmm. to me, someone is a parenting expert. <laughs> It's just the way it always works, where you're like, oh, I've got so many things to do. Okay, they're going to get off to school. And- nope, nope, only one's getting off to school. Okay, change of plans. He's too young to stay home alone. Now the things that my husband and I were going to do throughout the day, only one of us can do at a time. <laughs> so uh, then it changed into things. And then you think, oh, well, one parent stays home and like, takes care of him the other one goes off and does these things um the parent who stayed home was me while i was working so i thought that's cool i can get work done but every five minutes he needs a drink well he hadn't thought of it at the time that i was in the kitchen but now that i'm sitting back and getting into work again ah he needs a snack ah and then he needs a show but he doesn't know what one what show should he watch And what do you think I put on for him? Hockey? I turned on Sportsnet. (laughs) And I I went, what do you want? What do you want, buddy? I said, you can look at all these replays. And I showed him all these games that he could go through and watch the replay. And the beautiful thing, you have two options. One, you watch it as it existed, fully, front to back. Or two, you watch the quick play which literally is just 10, 15 minutes of highlights. And for that ADH dream child, it's perfect because it's constant action, whereas it tends to veer off sometimes and he gets bored and whatever. 
I have witnessed over 10 different hockey games today because he was just so into it, which was beautiful, but also like, mom's got to work, you know, (laughs) mama had plans. Yeah. You know? I just want to point out that I really enjoy your term ADH dream child. Yeah. I like that there was no there was no second D on there. The, or the second D rather was dream. Yeah. The second D in ADHD is for dream. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh that is ADHD and dream combine beautifully, um, kind of for all three of them in their own way. Yeah. But yeah, that one, that younger one definitely is, uh, he lives on another planet, Mm. which is beautiful because that planet is just so full of sports. Um, uh, And you'll love this. Uh, When it comes down to my favorite team and his favorite team playing against each other, which does not occur for a couple of months, I think. Maybe the end of January. I can't remember. If the pants are still working, I may have to put them away and force the team to take one because he will be devastated if his team loses to mine. And I may just have to take it. Once again, (laughs) she doesn't call herself a parenting expert, but I think she should. Uh, I love magic so much. Just whimsical anything magical um and i refuse to take anything magical away so if i have to take the hit then i'll do it oh god bless you on that note what you drinking over there um i'll be honest i'm on medication so i'm on a slurpee today beautiful so well good news i'm i'm a few to few wines deep what am i drinking mr glover this is a new zealand sauvignon blanc and it's delicious. First hey. timer. It's delicious. First timer. Here we go. Gluggy, like gluggy. That. You know what? This is going to get sloppy. And <laughs> it's the holiday Good. season. So, yes. loop. I'm getting drunk. <laughs> Again, I, it's just you make promos so easy for me that I don't even... <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Oh, listen, it's a gift and a, and a curse. Uh, I'm kidding. It's only a gift. Yeah, I am going back to work before Christmas. We right. are yep. filming an episode of my show, Not Dead Yet, uh, starting December 18th. So what I am doing this week is I'm like, well, I guess I'm getting my holiday chair in now, getting my yayas in, out and in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, because then that week leading up to Christmas is going to be cuckoo bananas, and then it's uh, pull off Christmas somehow. I am yep. not finished shopping, to be honest. I've had two shopping runs and a couple online sessions. I don't have anything. I have bought so much stuff, but it's nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. it's not amounting to anything. Nothing's wrapped. Half my house is decorated. It's the holiday season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing it. I'm so okay. full of shit. <sighs> I have a lot of things uh, to unpack there. Um, oh, God, let's see how many I can remember. One, the fact that you call online shopping a session. 
If you have the ADH dream, here's the thing. <laughs> it's very yeah. difficult. If you don't go like, I'm going to sit and do this for like an hour. Yeah. Good luck online shopping. It's oh, just, yeah. it's, you're never going to, I have to sit and have a session and go, yeah. this is your goal right now. Yeah. Or Otherwise, there's so many tabs, so many carts. You don't know what's going on. Oh yeah. Everything shows up or nothing does. Yeah. yeah. I get that. And I, it's one of those things where I've ordered, I've ordered like six things for one person and like nothing for someone else. You know what I mean? Oh, like it's, sure. that's where we're at. That's the tough part is when you're trying to focus on that because then you're, then it's like, well, then you got to go through the list of people. But while you're like, I'm looking for something for this person and then you come across something for somebody else and then your brain goes back to that other person and then you forget what person you were supposed to be focusing on. Yeah. So I absolutely get that. I just think uh, session um, is such an appropriate and beautiful way of saying it that I had not considered before. If it, it It's the more joyful way of saying online shopping to me. Yeah. A session. It also f makes it feel more professional. Um, I like, I like that. that. Um, oh, God. I think there was something else. Um, oh, you say your house is half decorated? Haven't even started mine. We are almost mid-December, and I have not gotten out the advent calendars that I get out every year on November 30th. Do my kid, did I buy my two younger ones um, little, like, kind of Funko-type uh, advent calendars to open this year? Yes, but I didn't get out the ones that they like add stuff to a tree or whatever the hell they are. I didn't get those ones out yet. And otherwise, I have no, I have not done anything for decorating. So, hey, you're at least half is better than nothing. So that's something. Yeah. Um, also, I've said so many things on the show are my favorite thing that you do, um, like uh, over enunciating. Mm -hmm. When you get into things, a Liam, a Neeson. <laughs> um, I love that that was my choice. Of of course yep, it was. It usually uh, is. Shout out, shout out, Liam. Friend of the, um, friend of the podcast, yeah. That's what we hope. Um, but one of my favorite things that will warm my heart instantly is when you go into what I consider to be like um, Broadway, Lauren. Sure. What... Like the, when you get into like a sing-songy way and then it's like a big like, ah, you know, it kills me. You, you always knock it out of the park for me on that. Oh, bless like you. Like the second you get into that, I'm like, yep, she was born to perform. That's it. Born to perform. Has anyone ever put that on a shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it Although really I am does concerned feel... someone would be, would take it in a filthy way, but- well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Still, I'm just saying, uh, it just feels like it's right there. Um, and also, this had nothing to do with that, but I just thought of it as something I was going to tell you in private, but I forget. So again, why bother? This is this uh, just is do a, it with, with a you know this is a voice note as sure. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, do you know the show that my children watch? Every morning before they go to school. No. Kiff. God bless And it. if you think that there isn't a moment when she comes on screen that they both sit there and go, huh? To make sure everybody is silent so that they can hear. And the second they hear your voice, they both cackle like they're in on a secret that nobody else knows. 
I love that. I've had to look up for them if it was renewed. Because they're like, are we going to get more or is it going to run out? And I'm like, I think it's renewed. You're fine. But they are uh, they are big fans. Well, listen, that's lovely. Yes, for those who don't know, I play uh, the mother character on Kiff, the mother named Beryl. It's a hoot, that show. I love recording that show. It's cute. It the is team is cute. lovely. So oh, fun. that's great. And I love how musical it is. Yes. A lot of musical numbers. I mean, that makes sense. That is similar to how my kids are just built. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of whimsy, a lot of musical numbers. But it's just amazing that they they watch it. And they don't care if anybody's talking or moving or anything for the rest of the show. But it's the second that she's on screen that they're like, everybody's silent so that we can hear. So they can have a moment to be like, did you hear it? And then they're both just like killing themselves laughing. They're like, isn't like, it's just crazy to them that they're like, it's wild that we know who that is. Well, like, let me say it. We say it about every damn show I'm on. Where are the Funko people on this? Where are the Funko people on this? Kids would love Funko Pops of those characters. Those characters are so cute. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm still fighting for Superstore ones. I took meetings. I want to remind you, I've really tried. It's insane to me. That, like, but yet we're still somehow still coming out with ones for The Office. I think they've got lots. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, maybe it's time to, you know. And recently I saw, like, Gilligan's Island. And I'm like, are people racing to buy those? That's and if they are, bless you. Bless you. But, like, what about a current show? Like, a, a, something in the last decade. Yep. I'm going to look up how many seasons that ran. <laughs> Because I'm determined. If it's less than six, we've got a bone to pick. The joke will be like, it went for 15 years. No, shows were shorter back then. They got Uh, short, then got... 63 to 67. They did 99 episodes. Well, we did more than that. That means they didn't get a cake. (laughs) Well, neither did we because it was the fucking pandemic. But don't get me back on that. I was so mad. Even if it had to be a fake cake. Can we just have the cake? For the photo. They did three seasons. But like 30 episodes a season? It was different times. Yeah. But again, what made you think, and by you I mean Funko, what made you think that we need a pops from a show in the 60s before we need a show that I'll go so far as to say was a revelation. Cultural phenomenon, some are saying. And by some, I mean myself. But the point is, look, it mm-hmm. got very popular during the pandemic. It's very popular Yes. Now. now is the time. Strike while the iron is hot. Carpe diem. And that's the thing. They're usually so fast. I know. Because it's like I heard that Squid Game was a thing. And then I go to a store, probably... More like I visited it online. But all of a sudden, it's like, oh, do you want to buy a Squid Game Funko Pop? And I was like, I no. But also, I just, how does this exist already? In some cases, they're so fast. Why are we dragging our heels now? I don't know. 
I don't know. Again, if you have Gilligan's Island Funko Pops, I'm happy for you that you finally got what you wanted. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'd like us to get what we want. (laughs) And that's the thing. We're not trying to crush other people's dream. We're saying, let's everybody have the dreams. If you could maybe put on your magic pants and then, I don't know, like rub your thighs and be like, Superstore (laughs) Funkos, like that, I also wouldn't say no to. (laughs) Uh, The fact that... (laughs) I didn't even think if I had to do anything while wearing the pants. I just assumed putting the pants on was enough. Um... Oh, God, and to rub my thighs, I just have to walk across the room and it'll be done. <laughs> the idea that these pants are slight genie. Oh, my God. Do I need pants that are, like, Superstore related or do I need, like, Funko Pop pants? Or do I need, like, a Funko shirt and a Superstore pant or vice versa or one is a pair of shorts, one is a pant I put over top to show the world I'm trying to force them together. I can't tell if it's my ass or my vagina that's giving magical powers to these things, but I'll take either. I am <laughs> so delighted. Just know this could not have been... This is... Ho, ho, hold on to your pants because we're here. Um, and that's it. Stone sober. Yeah. I think I've just decided whatever I can do to finish off 2023. I'm ready for the new year. Just need to get there. Yep. Let's do it. And this is this is what's happening. Yep. I've talked about my vagina more times on this show in the last couple of months than I ever have before. Yep. Maybe not specifically my vagina, but vaginas in general. My vagina. Why? Why has that never come up before, though? Look, if I ever start this career as a female weird owl, that's where I'm going to start. Which I pray that you do. Thank you. I just assumed your first hit would be something about Cot Garage. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking mm. of which, did you know that my next single is going on pre-sale December 20th? Hey! Yeah. My I next like single, that. My next single called The One Who Got Away. It's going to be on pre-sale everywhere on December 20th, and it's going to be available ju- January 17th. That wasn't even planned, but it was a synergistic way to get that in there. I like that. I'm yeah. just disappointed. It's not called Cock Garage. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, can't. I can't. maybe it kind of is in theme. <laughs> it's not at all. It's not at all. But uh, yeah. yeah, listen, I will take Cock Garage to heart. As I'm going, continuing my writing process, you never know. Of course. You never of know. Course. I know not a lot of things rhyme with garage. Mirage. Minage. I'm like Nicki Minaj talking about my cock garage. It's, I mean, this is if I get into my hip hop world. Is it real or is it a mirage? Yep. I don't know, but it, there ain't no flaws. That's a soft rhyme, but it still works. This writes itself i'm writing down god i really think you and eminem could make magic together yeah i mean he terrifies me but yeah does he yeah he's intense like like in a good way i mean um no i i think in a a like in a to be honest i'd be terrified that it's like what does he say when you're gonna walk away am i gonna be is he gonna put out some 
hit track on me. You know what I mean? What a, oh diss my track. God. Hit track. What is wrong with me? Diss track. Are you saying that your fear of him mm-hmm. is that he might be mean about you? Yeah. God, you're the cutest person alive. <laughs> like I, I thought, I thought you worried he'd he'd just be like angry and like super intense in person or like mean to your face or whatever. I don't know why. <sighs> be rabbit. That's why. But I've always just felt like, oh, I bet he's a teddy bear. Even I bet like I want to kill you and cut you into pieces, kind of stuff. Oh, we all have shit we got to get out. But the point <laughs> the point is, I feel like he puts on a hard persona because the last thing you want is a white rapper that's going to come out and be some softy. But like behind the scenes, I have nothing to base this on, but I just assume he's lovely. Well, I guess we'll find out. Start rubbing your magic pants. We're gonna have we're gonna get somewhere. <laughs> if I get pants with M&Ms on them, do you think that's close enough I to do. work? I do. Fuck. I'm gonna have to own so many pants. Yeah. I'm gonna need like a dresser just for pants. Unless we want to start getting into body paints. <laughs> I don't. I <laughs> I'm saying for you to put under the pants because the magical pants, right? You're trying to layer up so that the things are close oh, together. So sure. I'm saying, do you do a body paint underneath, then put the pants over it? Now, granted, that's going to get those pants are going to get messy fast. But then, is that part of it? They I are. don't know. I'm concerned body paint will like immediately lead to just destroying my furniture. Yeah. Well, I guess that's when you start sitting on newspapers. <laughs> But careful, because then whenever you're sitting on any of that text could touch the magic pants, and then who knows what's going to happen. Oh, my God. Is that how I'm going to, like, predict things and do, like, astrology and that type thing is paint my ass? Why? (laughs) And then sit on a newspaper, and whatever words come out on my ass, you read it like like an ancient tome of some sort. (laughs) longest intro we've ever done i couldn't be happier about it i couldn't be happier if we got to you telling the future by painting your ass and then rubbing it on a newspaper to see what what transfers i mean if i forced us to put jade eggs inside our who's like i mentioned in the glee curse if you haven't checked it out do it's a romp uh then i may have to have us paint our asses and then rub them on some newspaper see what happens see what sticks literally this just feels like a large art project. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying no. But uh why why do I automatically have to go ass? Um why do I automatically think Eminem's a nice man? These are all things that I'll never know about yeah. myself. And look, I think what's happening is we are pre-hoot. We're so close to the hoot. Our brains are like 
once we hit December, we're like, oh, it's almost hoot nanny. It's it's a race to the hoot. And this year, I want to remind you, it is yeah. uh, holiday hoot nanny for live free or die hard. So <laughs> it is. <laughs> I think it's some of the best thing we've ever did is. Uh, and I, by the way, we have not recorded it yet. I'm nope. specifically speaking about the title. Yep. I'm still I'm so mad at us for Hoot Nanny too. Yeah. Because we could have done we didn't like know. we didn't know we didn't know if we knew th- then what we know now. Yeah. Hoot Nanny three Tokyo Drift. Who can Ari- Hoot Nanny four live <laughs> free and die hard <laughs> or die hard? Excuse me. Well, listen, that's what's coming next week. But right now, we got to get to the case. We're over 45 minutes into this thing, and here we go. (laughs) Not over. We're just under. Shut up, semantics. Montreal Santa Claus robbery brought to you by New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. (laughs) Jesus Christ, we're doing great. (laughs) I thought when you said semantics that you were calling yourself Samantha. (laughs) No, I was calling myself semantics. Semantics Jones. I'm out of control. This is easily the most chaotic I've been on this show in, I'd say, months, years. I say maybe going forward, huh? The month of December is this. Yeah. Because we're the month of December is already so much on our plate. So I feel like maybe December is just a light month. Maybe December 2024. All banter, all the time. Okay. If I could remember the radio station that we made up one day, I would have absolutely used it now. WKRV? Something like that. Ah, shit. Yeah, I don't remember. It just felt right to go from banter right into... Of course. WKRV. Yeah. 98.5 98.5 or whatever. 97.3? I was can't it? remember. I can't either. All right. Babes in the Bay Area. Yeah. The great thing is this episode involves murder. It does. So it just feels like it's gone from like ridiculously light. Oh, shoot. Bant- yeah. I think I thought it was just a heist, so I thought it was fine for me to be a little bit more animated, but I'll get serious now. Most of it. Well, mo- there is... Uh, a lot of heist things. Sure. Prior. All right. So we'll be fine. But again, 2024. Open the door to more Bantor. It's not necessary. Bantor sounds like a monster. And <laughs> maybe that's what it is to the people who don't like this part. Well, those people can ride the toe of my boot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Here we go. Here's some backstory for you on the Montreal Santa Claus robbery. In December 1962, a man dressed as Santa walked into a bank in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and demanded money. The well-planned heist resulted in the deaths of two police officers, as well as one of the largest manhunts in Quebec's history. So, ho, ho, hold on to your hats as Christy brings us into the holiday season with the story of a thieving Santa. She'll take us through the robbery, the shootout, and the inevitable trial that followed. Did police catch the real culprit? Or did an innocent man pay for a crime that he didn't commit? Stay tuned as Christy answers those questions and more in an episode brimming with Canadian content. I don't know why I had you emphasize brimming, but I did. Again, I read it as it's written. 
If there's oh, a you stage take, direction. You take a note, of course. Yep. Oh. Just when I'm like, oh, I'm worried this might be a shorter episode. We it's we're 46 minutes in. We've never done this before. It's unprecedented. <laughs> it is. It is. You never know what you're going to get with us. It's a box of chocolates, Forrest. Every single time. Every time. There might be people who see the title of this episode and go, ah, I'm not in the mood. And it's like, but you don't know. You don't know what they're, you don't know magical pants are coming. Magic pants and a baboon heart. You almost got me believing in it. Am I Christian Slater in this? In this case, I guess, but I don't want to think about us making out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, I'd rather be the Rosie Perez, if I may. Adam, Adam. I don't know. He is kind of cute. I'd do him. That's her lines. From Untamed Heart. For those who are like, what the hell are they talking about? Are they having a shared stroke? No. We're talking about hit major motion picture Untamed Heart starring Marissa Tomei, Rosie Perez, and Christian Slater. Okay. Uh, I think from now on, instead of banter, what I am going to refer to the opening bit, if it goes over a certain length of time, I'm just going to start calling it a shared stroke <laughs> because that's, that's what it is. Yeah. It's the two of us just losing our minds without realizing it. Well, also, it I feel like much like on Futurama, they're like, oh, I got bitten by Gamblor. Um, we got bitten mm. by Bantor. By Bantor. I'd love to see an illustration of Bantor. Here we go. Send yours in, artists. <laughs> We want to see your drawing of Bantor. What does the monster that represents TCAC Banter look like? Because look, as much as I would love for us to have another alien off, where we're each drawing what we think Bantor looks like, if we had time, I'd say we would do it. Yeah. And and I know what you're doing right now. You're tiptoeing around to see if I yes and you. You're tiptoeing <laughs> around to see, is Lauren going to go, of course we'll make time. Oh, no, we don't have time. I'll do it. I'm still thinking. I'm thinking about it. Well, why don't we why don't we get through the episode and then we can revisit this at the end, see how we're feeling since we're now 49 minutes into this episode. <laughs> God. Look, well, if you want more structure, go over to Morbid or whatever the fuck. <laughs> the thing is, we pay off. We get there eventually. <laughs> and and uh, like once we get there, then it's like, oh, well, then it's great. And some people like this part. You know, we've got a lot of positive feedback. Yeah. And if there's any negative feedback about this specific episode, we will not be reading it. It will go to the shredder. <laughs> I think I like New Zealand wine. It's my favorite. Spicy. Hey. Now is Kimmy C from that region of the world? Well, yeah. Kim Crawford, yeah, it's a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Interesting. Is that why you were willing to try this one? Yeah. Ah, see, I saw how you made that leap. 
Leap like quantum leap. I like how their grapes taste. Don't say that, Lauren. You know what? Honestly, there could be something about their, I don't know, the positioning in the world. You know what I mean? What is that? Is this going to be the first episode where we don't talk about the case before we take a break? (laughs) I want to say no, but I don't know. Okay, I'll just get into it. Oh, it doesn't matter, but I think you're right. There's something about the the soil or some shit. Oh, probably. Yeah. Based on like the altitude or whatever in the... Yeah. How close they are to the... uh, Some sort of axis shit. I don't know. Yep. I'm not a geographer no it's my weakest subject probably really geography yeah oh oof that's tough oh easily easily math science and talking to boys are my worst (laughs) yeah okay we're getting into it yep so um i'm just gonna point out quickly that in episode 108, sure. This is part of the notes. Oh, so we are, oh I'm so we sorry. Are, we are I thought, leading. I thought you were doing another aside. I'm not. I'm going to shut not. my I damn promise. mouth. My I promise dirty mouth. Um, episode 108, which was the Santa Claus bank robbery. Uh, it was released December 13th, 2022. In that episode, I very briefly mentioned that this episode was a thing. And then I very off the cuff did like a, maybe I'll do that next year. And I want you to know that I wrote it in my calendar to force myself to do it this year. So it is the longest I've planned out an episode in advance. So if we were doing a Guinness Book of True Crime and Cocktails records. Yes. This would win that award. Yes. I mean, I haven't been think like researching it or anything that long. It was just a, I scheduled it. I was like, this will be the episode we do then. It would also win the award for longest intro. Um, now, yes. In the future, I hope not. (laughs) What I wouldn't give if this was just it, where all of a sudden we're just bantering. Yeah. And then we hit a break and then we get into it. Yeah. I mean, but I will read my notes. And that's uh, what we're going to do. First things first, I will apologize for my French pronunciations. Because just like my Spanish, it's not good. And their names are uh, quite French. Oh, so uh, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. Oui. <laughs> At some point, I feel like you will switch into French without even realizing it. <laughs> It's going to be a thing. So, from the 1950s until the early 80s, Montreal, Quebec, Canada was known as the bank robbery capital of North America. Really? It may seem impossible. I was shocked as well. But I'm going to throw some stats at you. In 1980... Montreal had a population of about 2.8 million. New York City was about 7.1 million, and Los Angeles was 7.5 million. In that same year, Los Angeles had 389 bank robberies. New York had 687, and Montreal had 862. 
Wow. Which is more than two robberies a day. Every single day. Uh, In fact, Quebec was home to more than half of the bank robberies that occurred in the entire country of Canada at the time. Wow. Uh, One explanation for, well, more for the Montreal versus the States sort of situation is the fact that at the time, America had harsher penalties for armed robbery than Canada did. At the time, thieves in Quebec received sentences of like two years for armed robbery. In the States, uh, the same crime could get that thief up to 20 years. So maybe two years kind of seemed worth the risk. There's also the fact that in the late 60s, the American robberies were getting solved at a higher rate than the Canadian ones. For example, in the first half of 1969, 25% of the bank robberies in Montreal resulted in an arrest. That same time frame in Los Angeles, it was more like 60% were getting solved. Right. But with so many banks getting robbed, why wouldn't the banks step in to do something about it? Well, apparently banks found it cheaper to just insure themselves against robberies rather than to pay to upgrade their own security. And while the robberies didn't seem to bother the banks, even though it put a huge emotional and psychological trauma on their employees and their customers, it wasn't until Canadian politicians stepped in that something finally got done about it. In March 1976, politicians set up the Joint Committee on Bank Robberies, which was comprised of members of the police department, and the Canadian Bankers Association, the committee's job was to find solutions to fix the high rate of robbery. It was decided that less cash would be kept in the tills, um, that security guards and surveillance cameras would be added to every bank branch. Uh, It may seem wild to think about, especially given that hundreds of robberies were occurring every year, but that it, it wasn't until the late 80s before a full-time security guard was added to every branch. Which almost feels like free guy. Where it's just like where they walk in and they're like, oh, it's the nine o'clock robbery. Everyone hit the ground. Like it just feels like that's legit what that life was at that point. Uh, Another safeguard against robbery was to increase the minimum penalty from two years to five years or to seven years if it was the suspect's second offense. So did these changes make a difference? Well, in 1980, Montreal had 862 armed robberies. In 1987, that number was down to 507. Still a lot, but significantly lower and headed in the right direction. And while today's episode will focus on just one of those many robberies, before we get to it, because I love cramming in as much true crime as possible... I'm going to tell you about some of the bank robbers who are very well known in Montreal in this bank robbery time. (sighs) So, we're going to start with 26-year-old Michael Patrick O'Brien, who came to be known as the quiet one because he wouldn't speak during his robberies. Instead, he would hand the bank tellers a note that simply read, hold up. I love that he didn't bother saying more. That was just it. 
Uh, One day in the late 80s, Michael successfully walked out of the second bank he had robbed that day. He got into a cab to make a quick getaway. He then gave the cab driver a $100 bill and told him not to say anything. The cab driver absolutely said something and contacted the police. Michael was arrested and charged with 13 counts of armed robbery. Then we have Burkhard Bateman, who would later be known as Rory Shane. He was born in Germany around 1951. In the late 60s, Rory's parents immigrated to Canada and chose to leave him behind. He was mid to late teens-ish when they went. Uh, He eventually made his way to Canada. He lived in Ontario for a while, then he moved to B.C. On September 24th, 1970, at the age of 19, Rory robbed a bank in downtown Victoria. He then shot two police officers in the process and fled the scene and then hijacked a sailboat? Rory eventually surrendered to the U.S. Coast Guard and was sentenced to 20 years. Eight years later... Rory was transferred to a new prison where he escaped in December 1978 and went on a spree of robberies, hitting more than 12 banks and walking away with about $250,000, which is equivalent to about $1.2 million in 2023. Two months later, in February 1979, Rory, who was now 28 years old, and his girlfriend, a 36-year-old Micheline Rachel Dubiel hired a helicopter to fly them to Quebec City. They paid the company $600 up front, but when they got to the helicopter, they put a gun to the pilot's head and ordered him to take them to a nearby strip mall. They then handcuffed the pilot inside the helicopter, and Rory and Micheline went to the Royal Bank that was inside the strip mall and walked out with more than $12,000. When they came out, they ordered the pilot to take them to the nearest metro station, where they then disappeared underground. The fact that he commandeered a sailboat and a helicopter? Who is this guy? Uh, They were caught, though, a week later. Uh, Micheline was sentenced to five years. Rory was sentenced to 12. A year later, Rory was involved in a prison riot, So, for whatever reason, he ended up having to go to court over it. I don't quite know how to say it, but when he got to court, he surprised everyone in the courthouse by pulling a gun out of his ass and threatening to kill the judge. (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, The gun went off twice. Uh, Thankfully, no one was hurt. Uh, Rory pleaded guilty to attempted murder and was sentenced to life in prison. He was eventually transferred to a prison in Saskatchewan before being deported to Germany in 1986. <sighs> what? How big was the gun? I know I should. How be big is his that, ass? Was <laughs> the question? I was like, how? Like I know it's a different part of the garage, but like. That jade egg, I could barely walk with that, with a gun. <laughs> I can't even begin to think. It's not funny, but like, it is a little. Well, yeah, I guess my question is how much of it was up the ass? Like, was he just hiding it in his cheeks? Like, 
Interesting. Are we going up the chute or are we just kind of like holding on to it like a trapper keeper? I mean, these are all great questions. Yeah. I mean, I wish we hadn't gone so long off the top because we could we could explore them a little more. Well, I, unfortunately, there's no time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God that I don't have to come up with a name like Cock Garage, but for the back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Ass holster? Ass holster. Heiny holster. Heiny holster. You do know how I like alliteration. I live to give. <gasps> yeah, yeah, you do. Oh, I'm going to mispronounce this, I'm sure. So, Monica Proietti was born in February 1940. In 1956, at the age of 16, Monica married a 33-year-old Scottish gangster. The couple had two children and remained together until he was deported in 1962. Monica then started dating a bank robber who was sent to prison for armed robbery in 1966. Monica then decided to put her own crew together and started robbing banks herself. She was a master of disguise and was able to flee the scene without being noticed. She carried a gold-plated machine gun, which earned her the name Machine Gun Molly. Molly and her crew managed to rob more than 20 banks over the next year, nabbing an estimated $100,000, which is equivalent to like $950,000 in 2023. Molly made plans to move to Florida, uh, but she decided to pull off one last heist before she went. So on September 19, 1967, Molly and two crew members entered a bank on St. Vital Boulevard in northern Montreal. They managed to get approximately $3,000 before fleeing the scene in a 67 Chrysler. At some point, they switched cars, but police were already hot on their trail, a high-speed chase ensued throughout the city, and Molly was fatally shot in the process. She was 27 at the time of her death. The two crew members spent some time in prison, but both were killed when a bomb was detonated at one of their apartments in downtown Montreal in 1984. The bomb killed four men in total, all of which were suspected to be responsible for the death of Frank Ryan. Who was Frank Ryan? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Frank Ryan was born in Montreal in June 1942. His father abandoned the family three years later, so Frank was raised by his single mother. Shout out to single parents, because that shit is hard. So, at 16, Frank dropped out of school and became the leader of a group of teens who got into, you know, basic teen stuff, like break and enters hijacking trucks and, you know, random smash and grabs. By the age of 20, Frank had dozens of convictions on his rap sheet, including possession of stolen goods and robbery. As an adult, Frank was convicted of burglary and robbery with violence. He was also charged with manslaughter after he killed someone while driving intoxicated. The charge was thrown out because of a technicality. Frank was suspected in at least four different murders However, there was never enough evidence to charge him. In 1966, Frank was sentenced to 15 years following a bank robbery in Boston. He was released after serving six. 
shortly after Frank became the leader of the West End Gang, which is one of the most influential crime organizations in Canada. West End emerged in Montreal in the 1950s from the Irish working class. They were said to be involved in extortion, protection rackets, kidnapping, drug trafficking, home invasions, truck hijackings, and armored armed robbery. In fact, the West End gang were said to be the most successful bank robbers in Montreal from the 1950s through to the 1970s. Most of the gang's crimes took place on the west side of Montreal, hence their name. Their most successful robbery was when they hit a Brinks armored car in March 1976 under Frank's leadership. They managed to get away with 5000 in Olympic gold coins and $2.2 million in cash, which is equivalent to about $12 million in 2023. It was called the robbery of the century, and most of that loot was never recovered. Frank also worked with some Boston mobsters and built a drug network that extended from Quebec to Ontario and into the Maritimes. On November 13, 1984, Frank was ambushed by two men at a motel room. The men planned to tie Frank to a chair and torture him to find out where he had hidden his loot. Unfortunately for them, before they could get Frank tied up, Frank resisted and threw a chair at one of them, causing that guy to fire his gun in retaliation. The second man then shot Frank in the head. I guess because they knew they weren't going to get anything from him. Frank was 42 at the time of his death. Less than two weeks later, the two men involved, who had been previously members of Machine Gun Molly's crew, were killed by a bomb that was allegedly placed by a member of the Hells Angels, who had been hired by the new leader of the West End gang. Mm. Yeah. And look, I th- what Cookies always likes about the mob. Yeah. An organized crime. It's the loyalty. Of course. Like one leader gets taken out, the next leader, his first job. We have to punish those who took him out. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that that's a good thing. I'm just saying I, I've... Cookies likes loyalty. Of course. Is all I'm saying. So. <sighs> then we have... Now... I know it's pronounced a certain way in French, so I'm just... I'm gonna try. We'll see. Uh, Georges Lemay was born January 1925 in Montreal... When he was 26, Georges married a 21-year-old aspiring actress named Huguette Doust. I'm probably going to call him LeMay from now on, because I already feel weird calling him Georges. Uh, those who knew the couple said that they fought constantly. Why did I bother mentioning that seemingly insignificant detail? Well, so that, like me... You will find it wildly suspicious that when just eight months after the wedding, LeMay reported his wife missing. Here we go. In December, the couple went to Florida over Christmas. On January 4th, 1952, LeMay called police to say that while he was fishing from a bridge, Uget went to get her sweater from the car and then just never returned. LeMay said he was worried his wife had been abducted. 
Police did a massive search for Uget, but they came up empty-handed. It should also be noted no ransom demand was ever made. So was it an abduction? We don't know. Police were incredibly suspicious of LeMay, but without any evidence, they were unable to charge him, so he returned to Montreal. Even though he had been given an official summons to appear in court, and since he ignored that summons, American immigration decided that LeMay was now banned from ever returning to the United States. Before I continue with the suspicious husband story, I will mention that Uget's remains were found in the Florida Keys 12 years later. Wow. Sadly, no one knows what happened to her. Did her husband throw her off the bridge? Did she willingly jump? Did she simply fall? As of this record, Uget's case remains unsolved. So LeMay returns to Montreal seemingly without a concern for his wife's whereabouts. And he goes on to become a massive figure in the underworld scene. He's briefly associated with a well-known drug and gun runner, as well as the West End gang. LeMay was suspected in numerous bank robberies, but police never had enough evidence to charge him. Then, over the long weekend in July 1961, LeMay and his crew dug a tunnel beneath the vault of the Bank of Nova Scotia, and they took cash, bonds, jewelry, everything from the safe deposit boxes. It was never determined exactly how much they got away with. It is estimated between 600000 and $4 million. And if we're looking at this in 2023 money, that means bare minimum $6 million, which at the time... Yikes. Yeah. Police had no clue who the thieves were until one of the crew members got arrested on unrelated charges six months later in January 1962. And then to get leniency in that case, the guy offered up the crew members admitting that LeMay was the leader. The other crew members were arrested, but LeMay managed to disappear. He remained at large for nearly four years, despite police offering a $10,000 reward for his location. In 1965, police used a new program nicknamed Early Bird, which utilized satellites to broadcast the pictures of top-wanted fugitives on television. A man in Fort Lauderdale recognized LeMay as a man who kept his yacht at the man's marina, LeMay was finally caught in May 1965 and extradited to Montreal, where he was sentenced to 14 years in prison. He was released after eight, despite LeMay's entire crew being caught. Most of their loot was never found. Interesting. I just like like any excuse to use the word loot. Mm -hmm. Because then you get the warrant. Sorry. Anyhow. Jake the snake. (laughs) Ah, God, I live for that show. So, in 1983, LeMay was charged in the murder of a Montreal drug dealer, but he was acquitted. LeMay later died of natural causes at the age of 81. Fun fact, Georges LeMay was the first Canadian fugitive to be apprehended through satellite technology, and to this day, the Bank of Nova Scotia heist is still considered to be one of the biggest heists in Canadian history. 
What is the biggest heist? I'm glad you asked because I was curious myself. Prior to 2023, the biggest heist in Canada was the maple syrup heist in 2011. Of course. You cannot get more Canadian than that. Over a span of several months in 2011 and 2012, 9,571 barrels, which is equivalent to about 3,000 tons of maple syrup, was stolen from a storage unit in Quebec. Apparently, the company who owns this unit facility uh, that was robbed creates 77% of the worldwide supply of maple syrup, which I'll say it. Impressive. Yeah. So the thieves stole the barrels, took them to a second location where they removed the syrup and refilled the barrels with water. The barrels were then returned to the storage facility. But as the thieves kept doing this, they started, I'll say it, getting sloppy, and they just started siphoning the syrup directly at the storage facility and leaving the barrels empty instead of refilling them. When the company did their annual inventory in July 2012, they discovered several empty barrels. Police eventually arrested 17 men who had been exporting the syrup from a facility in New Brunswick. The alleged ringleader of the group was arrested and sentenced to eight years in prison, plus given a fine of $9.4 million. The following year, the Quebec Court of Appeal ruled that the fine was excessive and it was lowered to $1 million. But in 2022, the Supreme Court of Canada reversed that decision and reinstated that $9.4 million fine. The stolen syrup was said to be valued at $18.7 million, which now is closer to $25 million. So if we adjust for inflation, it's still the largest heist. If we don't, It was surpassed in April 2023 when someone stole a cargo container containing $2 million in cash and 24 gold bars worth $20 million. Jesus. The container was stolen from a storage facility at the Pearson Airport in Toronto. It was taken just 42 minutes after it was unloaded from an Air Canada flight from Switzerland. Brinks a secure uh, transport company, has filed a lawsuit against Air Canada, blaming their lack of security for the heist. Air Canada has since said that Brinks sent the cargo without declaring its value or paying for any insurance. I would be fascinated to learn how that container was removed from that area without anyone knowing. Uh, According to the National Post, The container weighed just over 53 kilograms, or 117 pounds. Mm. As of this record, the gold has not been found, and no arrests have been made. Wowzer. Listen, you said there was a lot of Canadian content, and I never doubted you, but I am delighted. This is a damn joy. Um, Let's take our first break, hit the can, grab another drink, and we're going to be back with more on the Santa Claus bank robbery episode. I trailed off partway there (laughs) of True Crime and Cocktails. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. 
Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the Montreal Santa Claus robbery. Before the break, we talked... For quite some time, I'm half cut. And Christy was giving us some very informative background about bank robberies in Canada and specifically in Quebec, which I value because I did not know any of this. Right? Yes. I had no idea. And we're from there. We're from there. (laughs) So I look forward to hearing the next bit of the case. The next bit of the case. Oh, so you don't want to talk for another 50 minutes before we get <laughs> Well, this get bottle of wine it. says I'll do that in a heartbeat. Oh, of course. Meow, meow, bitch. <laughs> I just want you to know, um, my first instinct was Bantor should be slightly scary. Um, more so for the people who aren't interested. But then I, the, the more I've thought about it, oh, I think Bantor has to be adorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but slightly off because it's only loved by some. I picture Swamp Thing for some reason, and I don't know why. I kind of instantly go like a Bigfoot situation. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you this. I might draw it, but it won't be out of clay. I won't allow you you to do that. I've let clay, I've left clay behind. And you know what? It'll have to be. I think that's more than fair. Yeah, well. She tried once. <laughs> Certainly was no 10,000 hours. So, bringing it back. From some of Canada's biggest heists to the one this episode was supposed to be about. Again, our show always pays off. We always get there. Yep. Eventually. Oh, God, yeah. So, a year after the the Nova Scotia bank robbery that... Uh, I mentioned that was like this huge one um, in Canada, 1962. It was a big year for bank robberies. In May, two thieves were killed and a police officer was wounded during one robbery. Then in July, two more thieves were killed during another robbery. And then just after 11 a.m., On December 14th, 1962, a man dressed as Santa Claus entered the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, or CIBC, if you will, 
Um, the branch was located at 6,000 Côte d'Elysée. Oh. Uh, with, an, uh, with an assault. He entered with an assault rifle and shouted, this is a holdup. This was now the third robbery to occur at this very branch in 1962 alone. The second one was just two months prior to this one, and the first was only a few months before the second. The man with the gun was in full classic Santa gear. Red suit, black belt, the hat, the boots, the white beard. Um, Something unusual for Santa, the guy also had a pair of smoked clip-on sunglasses and a Belgian FN assault rifle. Not your typical Santa image. No, not what you think of uh, when you think of Santa. Uh, The fake Santa walked into the bank and ordered the 12 customers to drop to the floor. He warned them that if anyone so much as lifted their head, they'd be shot. Two masked men then entered the bank, and Santa called out for the bank manager and demanded that he take them to the vault. Bank employees helped load money into a pillowcase. Um, In total, the thieves managed to get 6,646 in cash, 57,000-ish in traveler's checks, and 79,000-ish in savings bonds. To clarify, the cash alone is equivalent to like 68,000 in 2023. But while the thieves were distracted with the vault, a bank employee secretly pressed the silent alarm. At the time, police constables Denis Brabant and Claude Marino were out road testing the new police ambulance. Claude uh, was originally supposed to be off that day, but he chose to take the shift so he could have the following day off because the following day was his daughter's 10th birthday. The police ambulance was a black and white Plymouth wagon with the police force logo painted on the doors and a single red light on the top. When the call came from dispatch about the robbery, Another vehicle was specifically sent to the bank, but since the constables in the police ambulance were technically closer, they offered to take the call. When they first pulled up to the bank, one of the masked robbers called out to warn the others. Santa left the vault and went to the door to inspect the scene. Claude pulled out his service weapon, didn't fire it, just pulled it out to let it be known. He was there and he was ready, but somehow that sparked a full-on shootout with the thieves. Both officers took fire and went down. Santa took cover in the bank before he and one of the masked men made a run for a white Oldsmobile that was parked nearby. On his way past, Santa shot at the officers again, even though they were likely dead at this point. But he felt the need to shoot at them again specifically shooting Claude uh, 17 times. Which feels... That's something that we would call overkill. A hundred percent. Jack Ennis, uh, who was a guard at a nearby building, fired his weapon in the direction of Santa and the masked man, breaking the back window of their getaway car. Two of the thieves managed to get away. 
Driving into a field to avoid an oncoming police car, the Oldsmobile managed to get back onto the highway and then disappeared before police were able to follow. While Santa and the one masked man fled, the second masked man went back into the bank, hoping to find another exit. He ended up using the butt of his rifle to break a window and fled into a field. The entire robbery start to finish less than eight minutes. When the second set of police officers arrived on scene, they found the windshield of the ambulance had been shattered by bullets. Denis was face down near the vehicle, while Claude was propped up against the back tire. Neither man survived. Denis Brabant was a married father of three. Uh, He had been on the police force for eight years. He was 32 years old. Claude Marino was a married father of three as well. Uh, He'd been with the police for 15 years, and he was 35 years old. Police immediately set up roadblocks in the area. They alerted bus terminals, train stations, the airport. The director of the Montreal Police Department announced he had given his officers the order to shoot the thieves on sight, since the thieves didn't hesitate to kill two police officers. But at this point, the police had no idea who the thieves were, Witnesses in the bank said that Santa spoke in English, but the bank staff said they detected a French accent for sure. That, of course, does not help narrow it down, but, but made it made police feel that Santa was likely local. But the police didn't know at this point even how many thieves were involved. Three were seen at the bank, including the man dressed as Santa and the two in masks, But since the thieves were able to flee the scene so quickly, police thought maybe they had a getaway driver. The thieves' getaway car, which was a white Oldsmobile, was found abandoned the following day in Mount Royal, which is about 9 miles or 14 kilometers east of the bank. Inside the car, police found the Santa suit and the $79,000 in savings bonds, probably because the savings bonds were traceable and so therefore worthless to the thieves. Um, The traveler's checks were actually also traceable and worthless, but since they weren't left behind, maybe the thieves did not realize it at the time. It was discovered that the Oldsmobile had been stolen 13 days before the robbery, and its license plates had been traded with a set that had been stolen from a scrapyard. The car was dusted for fingerprints. Nothing was found. Police released a photo of an officer wearing the Santa suit and holding a gun to try and find other witnesses who could help identify the thieves. It felt like an odd choice, um, but they showed the suit to the Santa Claus associations in the city in the hopes that maybe they could identify the suit as one of its own. Um, And that was the moment I learned that a Santa Claus association was a thing. I don't know if they organize mall Santas or the Santas who ring a bell at the charity bucket. Either way, I'm charmed. I'm absolutely charmed by it. Absolutely. And the the fact that they said associations, like more than one. Charmed. I agree. But uh, the police said they believed that Santa's suit had been tailored So they hoped that putting out this photo of an officer wearing that suit 
they hoped that the tailor would recognize the suit and then tell the police who hired them. Of course, that's not how that worked out. I highly doubt it was tailored, but neither here nor there. Despite robberies being a common occurrence in Montreal at the time, this particular robbery was front-page news across the country. I can only assume that the deaths of the two officers were the main reason this robbery stood out from the others. It certainly seemed to be the reason the police stepped up their game and made finding these thieves their main priority. You know, for example, I read that... uh, as soon as they arrived on scene and realized that the other officers had died, that they got a fire truck and had someone go up in like the bucket and go as high as possible so they could look around in case, you know, so they could scout out as much area as possible. And I just don't feel like they probably do that normally. Right. At that uh, given time. Anyhow. According to police chief Fitzpatrick, he said, And I quote, some people are saying we wouldn't be trying so hard to catch the Santa Claus gang if their victims hadn't been policemen. It goes deeper than that. The case was the most savage act I have ever encountered. After they were hit, the officers were not impeding their escape. The bank robbers had nothing against them personally, yet one of them went back and kept firing at them until he was satisfied they were dead. If they get away with it, this city becomes a jungle. The manhunt then became one of the largest in Quebec's history. It involved between one and 2,000 police officers, which included officers from federal, provincial, and municipal forces. They all combined, which again, feels like they combined because two of their own died, but I'm not going to push it if they're going to say it wasn't that. Raids were conducted at various underworld hangouts throughout the city. Police focused on the area around the waterfront, which was kind of full of nightclubs, pool halls, and cheap theaters. It was a known place for harboring criminals. They kind of hoped that if they put enough pressure on the people who were potentially hiding the suspects, that they'd grow tired of it and eventually give them up. Police also received a lot of of anonymous tips where people claimed they saw one of their neighbors with a machine gun. And since the police were so desperate to catch these robbers, they responded to each of those tips by sending a car full of detectives in bulletproof vests armed with machine guns to the homes of these supposed neighbors and just dragged everybody in those houses down to the station for questioning. You think you'd want to verify but neither here nor there uh throughout the investigation police questioned more than 2500 men the police even offered a $25,000 reward for any information that led to the capture of the thieves unfortunately nothing seemed to bring them any closer to determining the thieves identity until a motel receptionist came forward to say that she had seen the third thief While Santa and one thief fled in the stolen car, the third thief was left to find his own way out. He broke a window at the back of the bank, ran through a field until he ended up at the town and country motel, which is about half a mile away. According to the receptionist, the man burst into the room 
and asked to use the phone. She noticed his pants were covered in snow up to his knees. The man didn't stay long and eventually caught a ride with a delivery truck after discarding the mask and his weapon in a junk pile behind the motel. Based on the description given by the motel receptionist and the delivery truck driver, police made a sketch of the man and released it to the public. On December 21st, a week after the robbery occurred, three men robbed the Slater Shoe Company on Montreal's east side. Police arrived before the men were able to get away. There was a brief exchange of gunfire, but the three men eventually surrendered. The main detective on scene said he didn't believe these three men were the same from the Santa Claus robbery because they gave up too easily. He said, quote, they're not in the same league as the Santa Claus gang. I know what they're saying, but Santa Claus gang just sounds like something I want to be a part of. I feel like in some ways we both are. Oh, we absolutely are. Yeah. We absolutely are. Mm-hmm. I'd back that man up for life. <laughs> And I have. I'd back that ass up for life. Thank you so much. I just realized I've been lying for that man for 20 years. I know. And he never he never asked me to. I just did it. I'd do it if he asked me. I respect that. Yeah. Or are you kidding me? The only reason I do it is because I want to please him. <laughs> <laughs> He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. You're right. He's kind of a stalker, but we're okay with it. <laughs> nope. I was gonna. I was gonna make turn it into something dirty about when he knows when you've been bad or good. <sighs> Anyhow, so later that night, the same night as the uh, Slater shoe robbery. The janitor at a rooming house in East Montreal heard a crashing sound in one of the upstairs rooms. When he went inside, he found the tenant of that room unconscious lying on the floor. The tenant was a 30-year-old man named Jules Reeves. He was rushed to Notre Dame Hospital, where it was found he had a blood clot on his brain. When he finally woke up, Jules was partially paralyzed and unable to speak. Hospital staff believe he had a partial stroke, Hmm. which is terrifying. He was 30. Oh, God. Yeah. Two days later, a man claiming to be Jules's brother arrived at the hospital and demanded his brother's clothes and money. When the staff checked, they discovered nearly $1,300 in cash in Jules' pocket, which, I mean, was an unusually high amount of cash to be carrying around at the time. Just for perspective, that 1300 in 1962 is equivalent to 13000 mm. in 2022. So, yeah, I mean, slightly suspicious. Um, and after the whole angry alleged brother stormed off because he was denied the money, the nurses contacted the police It turns out that Jules Reeves had a long criminal history, including being the suspect in a double homicide. Police confronted Jules, who refused to cooperate with them. However, they they were able to determine that 29 
of the bills in his pocket matched those on the list of the bank's missing cash. So police then could link Jules to the crime, but he refused to give up his two co-conspirators. Thankfully, police didn't need him because a fourth man came forward to say the three thieves tried to recruit him as part of the robbery, but he had turned them down. Police felt they had confirmation um, that only three men were involved in the robbery, and now they believed they had the three men's names. So on January 14, 1963, exactly one month after the robbery, the Montreal police did a press conference in which they publicly announced the names of the three suspects, 30-year-old Jules Reeves and 39-year-old Jean-Paul Fournel were said to be the two masked men, while 32-year-old Georges Marcotte was said to be the gun-wielding Santa. All three suspects had long criminal histories, including Jean-Paul and Georges, who both had previous convictions for armed robbery. When police discovered that Georges was a suspect, he was already in custody from an unrelated incident. On December 19th, Georges was arrested after trying to enter someone's home at gunpoint. I can't imagine how lucky a cop must feel when they're looking for a suspect in a major crime and they discover that the guy's already sitting in their prison. Yeah. Like, not like a, oh, this happened years ago and he's already, it was like, oh, we literally caught him doing something else days later, like five days after that bank robbery. And we didn't even realize it. Crazy to me. So, after, oh, while in custody, Georges allegedly tried to hang himself, but was cut down by another prisoner. Georges said he was distraught over some personal problems he was having, as well as the thought of returning to prison, since he was just released five months earlier. They questioned him about the Santa Claus robbery. Georges denied any involvement. He was remanded to prison to await trial on the weapons charge uh, from the earlier incident. After the robbery, Jean-Paul fled to Edmonton, Alberta. He then spent some time in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. He returned to Montreal in January, where he was arrested at gunpoint at his own apartment. It turns out Jean-Paul was the potential third thief who escaped the bank through a back window and ended up at a nearby motel. It also turns out Jean-Paul looked almost exactly like the sketch that had been released. In a garage near his home, police found a bag of ammunition, multiple guns, and some sort of log that Jean-Paul had fashioned into like a battering ram by sticking metal rods through it. Like, I don't... Whoa, okay. I don't, I don't know. So Jean-Paul has been identified by two witnesses following the robbery. And Jules is found carrying money that police knew was taken during that heist. So police now knew they had two of the three suspects for sure. But they didn't know which of the three men had been dressed as Santa. And since Santa was the one who shot the officers, police were focused on finding out who he was. 
And since Jean-Paul knew he was caught, he agreed to testify during the coroner's jury, which is a group brought together to assist a coroner during an inquest. Jean-Paul testified that Georges was the one in the Santa suit and that he kept, he claimed that on the way to the bank that day, Georges kept saying, ho, 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 because he was just like in a really good mood, I guess. Sure. The jury deliberated less than three minutes and decided because of Jean-Paul's testimony, Georges would stand trial for capital murder. And since this specific trial was just against Georges Marcotte for the murder of Constable Claude Marino, if found guilty, the death penalty was the automatic sentence. The trial took place in February 1963. It was mostly in French. Translators had to be brought in for the English-speaking witnesses. Jean-Paul's own trial was postponed so that he could be a key witness for the prosecution because he was the only person who could place Georges at the scene of the crime. Jean-Paul outright admitted to his criminal past, including the fact that he'd been convicted in seven other armed robberies and had been sentenced to 21 years in prison total, although he only ever served about nine. He admitted to being part of the Santa Claus robbery, and he admitted to robbing that very same branch earlier that year. So it's wild that this is the guy we trust with information, but, you know, Jean-Paul even admitted to firing his own weapon at the police during that December robbery, but he was adamant that Georges was the person in the Santa suit and that Georges alone was responsible for the deaths of the two police officers. It's interesting that in a big shootout where everybody's firing guns at each other, that Jean-Paul was able to determine exactly where each of his bullets went. Yeah. But, you know, um, because he outright admits to firing the weapon, but to know where each of them goes just feels impossible to me, but okay. Jean-Paul's sister-in-law testified claiming that Georges had told her, quote, I have just killed two policemen. The defense argued that Jean-Paul and his family were trying to frame Georges and said that it was more than possible that the man in the Santa suit was not Georges Marcotte, but rather Jean-Paul's brother, who was about the same height. It's interesting that they brought the brother up because they had never mentioned him prior to that. So it just feels so random that they brought him up then. Yeah. I, it's almost like they were like, oh, they'll men defense will mention him. We better get ahead of this and just mention him the once. But. But mentioning the brother as a possible suspect is a great reminder that John Paul is the only person here linking George to the crime. And since two witnesses can place John Paul at the crime, he's probably pretty eager to help the prosecution in exchange for some sort of leniency. When Georges testified, he claimed that prior to the robbery, he saw a shopping bag in Jean-Paul's apartment that appeared to have something like a Santa suit in it. Georges also claimed that Jean-Paul's brother was at the apartment at the time when he saw the suit. But of course, Georges' own criminal history was brought up 
like how he was known by multiple aliases, and that his first conviction was in 1947 when he was just 17 years old. His most recent crime was an armed robbery of a garage on Sherbrooke, Sherbrooke Street, uh, for which George was sentenced to eight years. The trial lasted 12 days, and in the end, the jury found Georges Marcotte guilty of the murder of Constable Claude Marineau. He was sentenced to death. When asked if he had anything to say, Georges simply said that he was innocent. Jean Plaud, Jean Plaud, Jesus, Jean Paul pled guilty to two counts of non-capital murder, and for cooperating with the prosecution, the death penalty was taken off the table. Jean-Paul was sentenced to life in prison. Uh, and that reminds me, I don't know why they chose to only have the trial about the murder of one officer. Right. They never did anything about the murder of the other officer. That's so bizarre. It feels like they only did this one because he was shot 17, like more than 17 times. Right. But the other one, even though he died in the same thing, it's almost like they could blame the Santa because they somebody claimed to see the Santa specifically shooting the one up close. But when the other guy died during a shootout, you don't know who did it. Right. So they felt like they couldn't do that. Harder is to how prove. It felt. Yeah. But yet Jean-Paul did plead guilty to both. Then they feel but, like they got their perp. Correct. Uh, so George's execution date was set for May 31st, 1963. It got postponed thanks to an appeal. While in prison, George started writing short stories. He was painting landscapes. He did a gallery show and even sold some of his art. He offered uh, 10% of the proceeds of the art um, to go to the families of the fallen police officers, the families declined. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Georges was denied a new trial, and his execution was officially set for July 3rd, 1964. And just hours before that was scheduled to happen, his lawyer pulled out a new witness statement from the robbery. A Hungarian woman named Helen Dulles claimed to have been crossing the street in front of the bank at the time of the robbery. Helen said she saw the shootout between the three bank robbers and the two police constables. She said it all happened so fast she couldn't tell which of the three robbers had fired their weapons and which had not. This, of course, adds reasonable doubt that the man dressed as Santa was specifically the one responsible for the deaths of the officers. And I know what you're thinking. Christy, earlier you said that when the next police officers arrived on scene, they witnessed the man in the Santa suit walk over to the fallen officers and shoot them point blank. And maybe that did happen. But maybe, and I'm just speculating here, but maybe the police decided that Santa was going to be the fall guy for the crime because the police wanted to ensure that someone would pay. Because according to Helen, when she told the police that night what she witnessed, they told her it's best for her not to tell anybody and to just go home. 
Why would you tell a witness not to tell anybody what happened? Yeah. Or what you saw. It doesn't make sense to me. But Helen ended up being so scared, she uprooted her family and moved them to Hamilton. Wow. Yeah. The managing editor of a Montreal tabloid tracked her down, and that was how the lawyer learned of Helen's existence. This new witness statement casted doubt on who the potential killer or real shooter was, and it allowed the execution to be delayed for a week. But then that week turned into months, and soon it was set for September, then it got pushed again to December. But then, Georges' lawyer submitted a letter from Jean-Paul. The letter, or the lawyer, claimed the letter would prove that Jean-Paul was not trustworthy as a witness, and said that it would prove he would easily change his testimony for money. In the end, Georges, uh, his sentence was commuted to life in prison because the Canadian government was starting to consider abolishing capital punishment altogether, uh, which they did uh, abolish the death penalty in December 1998. Georges remained in prison where he made paintings. He started learning carpentry skills. He founded a sports program for children with disabilities. Wow. Yep. Georges was granted day parole uh, about 20 years uh, after being in prison. He later changed his name and moved to Toronto to try and distance himself from the crime. In the 90s, he was in and out of custody for a variety of robberies and even just plotting robberies. Once, Georges was picked up by police when they caught him casing a shopper's drug mart in North York. Mm. He was found carrying a police scanner, binoculars, walkie-talkies, and a gun. On another occasion, Georges and two men walked out of a National Trust bank with $2,600 after handing a teller a note that said, this is a holdup, give me all your hundreds, fifties, and tens, and no one will get hurt. Due to his advanced age, Georges was finally given full parole in 2002. It is unknown where he went after that. Jean-Paul Fournel was sent to a smaller prison in Manitoba for the sake of his safety, because, you know, he ratted on... Uh, sure. Uh, supposedly his... Uh, I don't know. Do you call gang members co-workers? I don't know. Great question. <laughs> Co-conspirator. <laughs> Co-conspirator. Thank you so much. That feels much more grown up than what I said. So while in this prison that was specifically meant to be for his safety, he was stabbed five times in the back with a letter opener. Uh, due to his reputation for, you know, snitchery. It's not a word. Uh, Jean-Paul was granted full parole in 1979. He died in the early 90s. The third thief, Jules Reeves, never fully recovered from that partial stroke that he had a week after the robbery. He died in hospital in 1973 at the age of 41. The Montreal Santa Claus robbery was believed to be the inspiration for the 1978 movie The Silent Partner, starring Elliot Gould and Christopher Plummer. According to IMDb, the movie is about, quote, 
a timid bank teller who anticipates a bank robbery and steals the money himself before the crook arrives. When the sadistic crook realizes he's been fooled, he tracks down the teller and engages him in a cat and mouse chase for the cash. The movie, which was filmed in Toronto, Mm. was actually based on a 1968 Danish novel, and it also features the absolute Canadian icon, Mr. John Candy. Fun fact about John Candy, he was so loyal to the Canadian series SCTV that he repeatedly turned down offers to join Saturday Night Live. And also, not only do I truly believe that John Candy's death was a loss that we all still feel today, I have nothing to base this on, but I truly believe that we missed out because I would have loved to see him play Santa in a movie. Yeah. Imagine John Candy as Scott Calvin in The Santa Claus. He would have nailed it. I stand by that. I've now mentioned maple syrup and John Candy. It doesn't get more Canadian than that. Reporting for this holiday-ish type of episode... I'm Christmas Oxborough. Oh, Christmas tree Oxborough is in the his house, and I could not be happier about that. Listen, let's take one more break. Hit the can again. Grab another drink. We're going to be back to talk our thoughts and feelings on the Montreal Santa Claus robbery on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the Montreal Santa Claus robbery. Time for my drunk-ass notes. (laughs) Amazing. I like Mm -hmm. that I, the first thing I wrote down was Born to Perform. The TV, the the TV show. God damn it. The t-shirt idea you had. And then I just wrote Cock Garage Rap. I'm talking like Mickey Mirage. Is it a mirage? Mickey Minaj. Is it a mirage? It isn't flawed. Remember that? 
<laughs> I mean, it was eight hours ago, but yes. <laughs> yeah. You're doing great. Then I wrote, 46 minutes in, will we start? The answer, of course, was no. <laughs> Feel great about that. You're absolutely correct. Then I wrote down, Montreal crime history, or should we say, Montreal? Oh, I know. I know. There, there are going to be French Canadians who are not happy with how I... Like, I probably should have said Quebec and... Is it Quebec? Those, I've heard a lot of it. I've I thought it was that. Quebec. I thought it was... Um, I've heard that. Quebec, quoi. I've, Quebec. I've heard that. I've heard so many versions of it that All I'm right. just like, it, it's how I say it. I, I know it's not... I will never sound how locals sound. Well, nobody will. Except for locals. Exactly. These stats about the bank robberies... Right? Stunning. Truly shocking. Who knew? Who knew? Not me. Montreal, bank robbery capital of North America. Who knew? Um, Machine Gun Molly feels like the girlfriend of Machine Gun Kelly. Sure. You know? Sure. I'd also never heard of her. Me neither. But I'm like, 20 bank robberies in a year? Impressive. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. That's every other week, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. You were talking about Claude. Claude, whenever I hear that name, makes me think of another Canadian content reference, Degrassi. Claude, of course, oh, sure. um, did unfortunately uh, take his own life on the show, if we remember that. I believe Caitlin was dating him at the time. Really? Yeah. I don't remember that part. I mean, of course, I remember. Uh, I remember the drama with Snake. Which drama was uh, Snake? Because well, didn't didn't Snake like um, Spike? Yeah, and did he? I don't know. I think they end up together in the newer Degrassi. Don't I think they? they do. So maybe he didn't like her back then. I don't remember. I also Spike remember- had some struggles back then. Well, they all did. That was part of the show. I suppose. <laughs> I suppose. Watch Degrassi's Schools Out. If you get a chance. It was the like made for TV movie that was grittier. Okay. And you won't regret it. You won't I can't regret wait. It. That's all I'm gonna say. Um all right. I did like that you were like, this was headline news. Maybe it was because two cops died in the shootout. And I said, well, also there was a man in a Santa suit, but yes. <laughs> Great point. Great point. But I think the two go hand in hand. Absolutely. Go sure. Hand in hand. Now, you brought up three men robbed the Slater Shoe Company. I wrote down Saved by the Bell, A.C. Slater, Mario Lopez. Have you heard that scandal lately? No. Now, we're not talking about Mario Lopez's politics, which are superfluous to this conversation. Basically, sure. people were – Mario Lopez, who, of course, hosts, I believe – is it Extra or Access? I can't remember. Um, I think Access? I think so, too. So we all know him. We all know what he sounds like. On his yes. personal social media accounts, like on TikTok, he was uh, doing a little thing where he would go around to different places in L.A., and eat different local Mexican food. Beautiful. Sure. The internet started to respond because they said he was speaking in a way that he doesn't normally on TV. 
They were accusing him of culturally appropriating for speaking in a more, I don't know how to label it, but in a more affected, what some would call Latino twang, uh, accent, voice, however we want to call it. Sure. And so the internet was basically like, I don't think he's even Latino. He's Italian. He's this. He's that. Blah, blah, blah. First of all, again, his last name is Lopez, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, Secondly, um, he had to make a video where he addressed this. And then he discussed something called code switching. Now, I'm not here to to explain to any people of color what code switching is because people know what it is. But for those who don't know, code switching is, again, the way that you may speak in your workplace may be different than the way that you speak at home, may be different than the way that you speak out in the world. Um, Sure. And I just have to say, I can't believe that anyone has to defend what their heritage is. I can't believe that he had to make a an explanation video because, yeah. of course, when he's hosting a national talk show, it's feasible he could talk in a different manner than if he's on his own social media account. He is, sure. of course, Mexican with other Mexican people. Um, you should feel uh, comfortable speaking as you want to speak. Yeah. I mean, I think the real problem is, is that he can't speak how he necessarily naturally would speak on television, but that's a larger, uh, you know, debate. I just thought it was such a fascinating and truly sad moment, which is what we get on the internet. It's a black hole. We all know this, but you know what I mean? I was like, regardless of what you think about him, his politics, et cetera, whatever. My whole point is, is that I don't think anyone should have to defend... People don't need to come after you no. and tell you you're not really Latino and you're culturally appropriating um, when, again, he is absolutely a Mexican man. But I digress. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I, I missed that one. Yeah. And then I know what you're going to think. That's all of the notes you took, Lauren? How is that possible? Well, the answer is because I spent the rest of my time sketching my version of Bantor. <laughs> oh, God, I thought it was going to be you to spend the rest of the time working on lyrics for your rap. No, no, here he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I love him. We'll post oh this God. on the socials. We'll post I, this on I the socials. That. I'm like, I don't know where else I could write it. You'll love this. I'm going to hide the rest of because i made other notes but uh the way you wrote it we wrote it the exact same way of course we, we did. wrote it the exact same way of course i wrote did. it in like a should i do the band tour well fuck now that's a dance move yeah do the band tour what i love about my band tour is he has no fingers and i can't explain why that makes sense to me hard to draw well, I think for me it was more I liked the idea that it's all about the talking, less about the uh being able to he, have a puzzle thumbs. Nothing else. He's all mouth. Right. He's all mouth. Yeah. But listen, I love him. I don't hate him. I'm not mad at him. I'm not mad at him. 
What would, would you go, would you leave him white? Would you go a color? For some reason, I see him like, again, like a swamp thing green, like a, like he, he feels like he's almost sure. melting to me. I don't know oh, why. Oh, sure. I don't know why. Because that's the physical embodiment of our brains while we're bantering. <laughs> <laughs> I said nothing about this case. In those, all of those notes, all of those notes, the five notes I took, nothing about the case. It was literally, here's these things that made my brain think of other things. And here's a drawing I did, mom. Give me some accolades, mummy. Tell me that I did oh, if good. You, if you think I wouldn't put that on my fridge. You're dead wrong. You're going to be I getting a printout. You're going to be getting a copy of it in the mail. I can't wait. And it'll go between a Spider-Man that was done four years ago uh, by someone who didn't have a concept of, you know, body shapes. And uh, he was very young at the time. It's adorable. Uh, and a, an elf slash fairy that's partially a flower, which was an assignment from the pandemic. So. I don't know. What I'm hearing is I'm seen. And there's space for yes. me. There, there is always space for you here. God bless it. God bless it. Well, listen, I think this was fascinating. I think, again, um, I'm mostly shook by the, the fact that something in Canada was the pinnacle of crime for the entire of North America. Yeah. I didn't see that one coming. Me neither. Me neither. It was a surprise. Um Again, at first I was like, oh, there doesn't, I don't know if there's enough to this. Uh, I shouldn't have said anything and really pushed this idea as an episode. And then I was like, well, what else was going on in Montreal at the time? And it turns out a lot. Quite a bit, actually. So, I, so I'm like, well, shit, I learned a lot of things. So, I mean, I hope we all learned a lot of things. And I hope we all uh, had a good time in general. I think we always learn things on this show, and I think we always yeah. have a dang good time. I think so, too. And anyone who argues that can ride the toe of my boot. We thank you, dear listeners, for joining us for this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Uh, if you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, at True Crime and Cocktails, on Twitter, at Not Detectives. If you'd like some bonus episodes, um, some, some additional content, go over to patreon.com slash Cocktails to learn more about our subscription-based service that is over there. And of course, the only place for official True Crime and Cocktails merch is, of course, truecrewmerch.com so check that out as well if you're interested and set your calendars and alarms my next single the one who got away is coming december 20th anywhere you stream music uh that's the pre-order date it's going to be released january 17th christy do you want to tell the people about next week's episode on the next true crime and motherfucking cocktails <laughs> Unnecessary, but she is who she is. Holiday Hootenanny 4, live free or die hard. For those who don't know, we do love actually cosplay. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't matter. It's a surprise to the both of us who we're dressing up as, and you should tune in to check that out. Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Good night, Cam Atkinson. Good night, Bantor. Bantor.